Well, good morning. We have, if you're our guests with us, welcome. If you're watching online, we're going to be in, in Genesis chapter 3 today. So uh, let, me, let me read this to you, but to orient and explain to you why we are where we are and why we're talking about where we're talking about. Um, Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so having got here in our place working through the book of Romans, we have parked our spiritual car on that text. And what we have asked the Lord to do is to help us gain gospel confidence so that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. And so everybody should have a little track or pamphlet that looks like this. They're over there on the table. You're not going to bother me to get up and, and get it. There's also a half a sheet of paper. The notes you see on the screen are simply this little these little graphics working itself through that's in your booklet. And so super simple this morning. There's a half sheet over there if you want to take notes. If not, just listen. And uh, I want to be clear this morning. This is a straightforward three-part series on how to share the gospel. This is not the only means to share the gospel, but this is a means that will help you engage people who, who don't necessarily have a, a foundation that there is, e there is even a God especially Jesus Christ. And so how do you engage them? That's what we want to talk about. That's what we haven't been talking about. So last week we said that God had a perfect design. The creation itself bears witness that there is a designer. If there is a designer, then there is a, what we might call an order of life. That they created the cosmos and ordered the, the cosmos that he created. And that every aspect of it, especially humans that he created as the pinnacle of his creation, to have a relationship with him. He created every aspect of that of creation perfectly. And so we talked about that. That our central purpose in life is to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. But the way that is displayed now is by understanding through obedience what our mission is is why we why are you here? And the last words Jesus said was to go make disciples, go make growing followers of Christ of all nations, starting right where you live. And so we're working through a method called three circles. That begins first with design. The main idea for today is that God has a design for our lives, but we depart from his design and end up in brokenness. So though God designed a perfect world, yet we depart from that. We're going to talk about what that departing is and where we end up. We're going to talk about things that we know all too well. Now, you got my wife, my wife to buy this at the dollar store and... And so you might, if, you can, if I can hold this just right, you might say these cups are the same. They look the same. They're not the same. Because one of them, we'll put this one here, and I'm, I'm trying not to break, drop that one because that would mess up my illustration. And uh, 
But this one's not the same. I, I broke this on purpose, but our, this reflects our lives. But here's, here's the hope. You can just look at this picture today. If, if there is brokenness in your life, and there is, there's brokenness in the people that we engage with them, there means there is a standard for wholeness, which gives us hope. If there is a place of brokenness, there is a place of unbrokenness. If there is something that is broken, it was what did it look like before it was broken? And this is a cup, but it is a useless cup. And so what does that, what does that look like? This is to some degree where we're going to engage people with the gospel. Right here. That broken cup is their life. And as you get to know them, they're going to tell you what part of their cup is broken. And they want something, anything to fix it. Just listen to some of this today. 40% of children live in single-parent homes. A half a million children have been removed from their homes because of abuse and neglect and placed in foster care. 20 million people are enslaved in some kind of addiction and 3,000 violent crimes a day. And that's only the ones that are reported. What about you? What about you watching online? What place of brokenness are you in or have you came from? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it spiritual? I mentioned this last night. We are humpty dumpty people. We can try putting some crazy glue on that if we want to. But it's still broken. This is what's wrong with the world today, and the world knows something's wrong with it. People know something's wrong, and people desperately want to fix it. It's interesting, isn't it? We teach value ethics in the public schools, but have no objective standard for those values that we teach. Like, how does that work? We seek to provide health care for every individual, but we have no means to sustain that on the long term. We study prisons and their prison systems and repeat offenders, and we implement behavior modification programs, and yet if you interview one of those guys, those people that run those things, they're sitting there going, it's just a revolving door. All kinds of people trying all kinds of things to put our nation and our communities and individuals back together again. And what we are saying today as Christians that we should have confidence that God has already given us the solution. And that we should not be ashamed of it. And so, if you look at your, your paper or look behind me, you will see God's design. But then you're going to see an arrow. An arrow. We chose to depart God's design. And so now, let's go to our text, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis tells an actual story that actually happened, but it also tells us our story. So let's look at Genesis 3. And here's just the simplicity 
of the story that we tell. This is where we start. doesn't matter what the person believes you're talking to. You're, you're sharing the gospel with them. You're sharing your story and our story. There was a first people that when God created everything and they lived in a perfectly designed world, but they thought they knew better than God. And so let's read about that. Says now the serpent, which was Satan, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let's pray before we move forward. Lord, we, we thank you for this time together this morning as we can relish in the gospel. And yet, Lord, we need to deal with this issue of sin and brokenness. All of us, even those that are saved, are still have broken places in our life that we are in the process of being healed and recovering from. And so, Lord, we have, none of us have room to boast. So we come in the name of your Son to ask us to reveal the broken places and the sin in our life so that we may repent and that we may be made whole. Lord, we long for the day when there will be no more disease and those that we love will, will not have to experience death. Until then, let us not forget why we are here. So fill us with your spirit and give us your confidence in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So what we see here is not only Adam and Eve departing willfully, deliberately, forsaking what God said, this is what's best for you. It was a perfect place of worship, a perfect place of obedience. And they said, no, you need only to look one chapter over in chapter 4 and see once Adam and Eve sinned, what happened to their children. Look at chapter 4 and verse 7. We know the story of Cain and Abel. How they both offered sacrifices, but only Abel's was accepted, and Cain was angry. And in verse 7, the Lord God said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? That's what he said. And if you do not do well, what does it say? Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. The next verse Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and he killed him. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. That means 
he intentionally lured him into the field in order to kill him. So that you went from this seemingly, wow, you know, just that ate that fruit, messed up everything. The next children, murder. And you flip over a couple more chapters or just, yeah, two chapters into chapter 6. Look at verse 5. That it didn't just stay in the family, so to speak. It spread like wildfire as people multiplied, sin multiplied. And in Genesis 6-5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Well, it's a lot of redundancy there. And so we know... God wiped out everything but one family. And yet when we get to Genesis 18, we see the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Something's wrong. Something's broken. This departing from God's design is what Christians in the Bible calls sin. It's that God designed something perfectly and we willfully say, no, I'm going to do it my way. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Paul saying it a different way. Romans 3, 23, for what? We all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of God's design willfully and by nature. But we can, we can blow smoke, though, can't we? We can say... You know, my cup's not as broke as your cup. Do you know, maybe your cup's just got a chip on it. Maybe your cup's just got the handle on there, but you know, I can still pick it up like this and drink it. The problem is, our broken cups that we could set here, and I wasn't going to, we bought these at the dollar store, and we weren't going to buy a whole bunch of them, because I knew I was going to break one of them. If we had cups stacked up, stacked up over here in a row and it's all of them broke in different places, the problem is none of those broken cups are the standard for wholeness. There's only one standard for wholeness. So we, we don't fool anyone by trying to say, I'm not as broken as you are, or I'm not as broken as some people. The, pro- the reality is that we all are broken We all have departed God's design. Doesn't matter what it is, whether it's sexual brokenness or emotional brokenness, sin done to us, sin done by us has left us broken. What are we going to do about it? So the first understanding of the gospel is we chose here to depart from God's design and when we do, it's called sin. And when we sin, it leads to brokenness. Brokenness. This is your entry point in almost every gospel conversation will be a point of brokenness in someone else's life. It is, it is because we are foundationally broken. We are not simply broken by the choices we make. We are broken by the nature we have. 
We are broken because sin follows the descendants of our forefathers. We are broken foundationally. We were designed to live in a perfect relationship with God. And nothing else will satisfy us other than that. And yet we need Him for everything. To put our thoughts together. To see what we see. The food we eat. The oxygen we breathe. And yet we still are the only creatures on the face of the earth that obstinately turn our face from God and act like we don't need Him. What that produces is brokenness of all kinds, of all shapes and sizes. Isaiah 24, verse 5 says this, The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. In other words, brokenness comes when someone breaks trust with their God. Sin done by you, sin done to you. Somebody has broken trust with their God. Romans 5 and Ephesians 2 both says we are walking dead men. Dead in the sense that we are broken. Enslaved by the things that we, that we desire but yet are destroying us. We're foundationally broken. And so we suffer the consequences as a result of our departing we it reaps in our life consequences and so sin produces misery not only to us but also to our children and to our children's children this this just continually saying we'll do it on our own we will not repent everybody loves John 3:16 but listen to John 3:36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Good news. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So a little important gospel sidebar. When, when you're engaged with someone who does not believe, you are not going to cause them to go anywhere. You can't cause them to be saved and to go to heaven. And you can't cause them to go to hell either one. The Bible says that this wrath of God already remains on them. They are already broken. So quit using the excuse that we have bought into the lie. What if I do it wrong? Listen, they are already broken. We didn't break them, and we can't fix them. We can only point to the one who can. That is our job. That's your mission. It's your purpose. We said last week that it's not for the professionals, whoever they are supposed to be, as if they're professionals in ministry. No. We're all people pointing to the place where you can get water, where you can be made new. Let's go back to the garden. I want you to see it. Look at verse 8. Genesis 3 verse 8. So we know what happened. Eve saw the fruit. Adam's standing right, standing right there now. He's standing right here. And she eats it. She gives to him. He eats it. 
They instantly know shame comes, awareness comes, all this lies that the mixed with truth that the devil had promised. They know nothing's ever going to be the same. And in verse 8, notice what happens here. So that was the departing of the design. You see on our arrow in the back. That's that departing. That's sin. But notice what happens next. Verse 8, chapter 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This brokenness, because we have departed God's design, leaves us in a place called shame. The feeling that the areas of our life are going to be exposed. This feeling that we can never live up to the expectations of other people can be exhausting. Shame brings fear. Fear brings anxiety. The devil will tempt you to sin, and then once you have sinned, he is waiting there with the shame. That's what kind of person could God ever use again that has blew it like you blew it? He's good at it. Been doing it a long time. Shame comes when either we break trust with God or other people break trust with us and bring brokenness into our life. And listen, the truth is this. We've all been a part of breaking other people, haven't we? And we've all been broken by other people. Our focus is to so primarily the issue here is our brokenness before God. That is the primary thing that is broken. But we see in the text, in verse 8, they try to hide from God. Right? That's the issue. It is this shame is ultimately, though whatever else it looks like, it leads us to be isolated. And, and then what we do, we do everything in this world but turn to the one that can make us whole. We isolate ourselves because of shame. We embrace all kind of self-help ideology, and you've all done it, and I do too every once in a while. You, you scroll in Facebook, and there's something that pops up in one of those commercials that you think is going to change your life. You know, so click, 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 and next thing you know, it comes, and it's just a little piece of plastic that you don't remember where it is in a month. Yeah. That's self-help ideology. and You know, we think it's going to help, and we buy into it, and it only makes it worse. But we will do anything in the midst of brokenness to alleviate the pain, if only for a moment. Listen, some of you need to get rid of this mess that's in your home if you are using it to mask your pain, to alleviate and give you relief from pain. It is an enemy that the devil will eventually grab you and destroy you with it, and you're not immune to it. No, like everybody else in this world thinks they are. Drugs and alcohol and all of these things that people lean on sometimes to give them a sense of relief from the brokenness in their life, if only for a moment. So brokenness, 
disrupts God's design in our life. And just like we said last week, it's holistic. It does it in every way. It disrupts your spiritual life. Now, I'm just using Genesis. There's a lot we could say. There's a lot we could go. But it's just trying to help us know if we were talking to somebody, we can really stay right here in Genesis with this conversation and see this brokenness working itself out. It disrupts our spiritual life. All of a sudden, in this, in this broken design, we have an enemy. He's Satan. And we see in verses 3 and 4 that he is a deceiver. He's perfectly fine to fill your life with seemingly good things, busy things, harmless things that will lead us nowhere to more and more brokenness. More and more isolation. Peter says that he's a prowling lion. Seeking people to devour. If you go all the way to Revelation 12, you'll see he's not only trying to deceive you. That he's going to deceive the world. He is. And he's good at it. He just... He disrupts our spiritual life. Brokenness disrupts our spiritual life. It, it disrupts our family life. You can see it right there in verse 16. All of a sudden, pain in childbirth is the problem. Then you get to chapter 4, and we begin to have problems with our children of all ages. The grown ones and the young ones. Can you imagine Adam and Eve when they found out what the conversation was? Their two sons, one of them had killed the other one? Departing God's design leads to a disruption in our family life and a disruption in our married life. Oh my goodness, this is a big one, isn't it? Look at verse 16. It says, Your desires shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. So we can have two things and two extremes of both those things going on in Every married life right now, if we're not careful. Believer and unbeliever can be struggling right here. You have a man, a husband, who is either a dictator or he's passive. I've noticed this, by the way, be it in small group or here, that oftentimes it's the ladies that are busy taking notes and the men don't even bring their stuff with them. By the way, that's a sin. God has called you to lead. That's the design. You are called to lead your families. You are first in what God has called you to do. And when you don't do it, when you act like you're too big or too cocky to do it, you need not wonder why your children will not do it either. God's called us, but we see that. We see it right here as a consequence of sin. That husbands are not leading their homes with Christ-like servant and humble leadership. We also see problems with wives, don't we? Either dominating or just being plumb unhelpful. They're either fighting for control or they're just disengaged, living their own life, doing their own thing. And just coming home in the evening. It's not the design. It's not the way God intended it. 
Brokenness disrupts our married life. It disrupts our work life. You see that in verse 17 to 19. All of a sudden, the, the, the dirt's not cooperating with us. What is that that's growing up beside our tomato plants? Weeds. And not just any weeds. A Johnson grass that grows out everywhere. You know, you pull it and it just keeps on coming and it breaks off and you can't... And next, next week, if it rains... The weeds are grown just as much as the plant has grown. It disrupts our work life. Can we say this out loud this morning? Sometimes people makes work miserable. Isn't it true? I like the work. But sometimes people are hard. No matter what business you're in, it doesn't matter. Fallen people... Veering off from God's design, rebelling against God's design produces a consequence in our life. And Genesis promises that it's going to happen. And we all live it every day. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Brokenness disrupts our work life, our married life, our family life, our spiritual life. It disrupts our physical life. Oh my goodness, doesn't it? I was talking to my one brother. We got arthritis in all kinds of places as we get older. And it hurts to move them. And if we don't move them, it's going to hurt worse. Our bodies wear out. You can just simply follow Genesis and see that life expectancy goes down immensely. We get diseases, we die. Heart disease, diabetes, nor depression were part of God's perfect design, but the part of our life right now. There is a kind of disease. We call it spiritual cancer. Because cancer is so subtle, it's because by and large you can feel absolutely normal and perfectly healthy and it's killing you on the inside. That's what sin does. So I want you to see then, when we're engaging other people, and even in our own life, though brokenness and all the pain that it causes in our life feels bad, brokenness can actually be good. And that's sort of our fourth point I want you to see at the end here, is brokenness helps us see our need for change. Our need for change. We try to cover all of these broken places. We keep trying to glue this thing back and it just won't work. But what it shows us in our life is that I can't fix me. I can't fix my own problems. My solution is not in myself. I, we have a perfect track record that proves that. That everything we have ever tried has only made it worse. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? I know it's hard to see this. It's going to be hard for people you talk to. But brokenness can actually be a kindness, a mercy 
that God gives people that shows them their need for something outside of themselves and then brings you to give them the gospel. Brokenness can be a good thing. I know. One of the questions we get all the time is you're saying God is so good and, and that I'm broken. But why doesn't God just stop all this evil? Why do I want to follow a God with so much evil? Well, can I take you to a text where, Je- where Jesus was, was asked that same question? Uh, and I'm sure they didn't like the answer either. It just happens to be how Jesus answered it. So Luke 13. So there's evil stuff going on in their world, just like it is in ours. And so apparently, Pilate here had killed innocent people. I don't know whether they were believers or Jewish people, probably. I, I don't know. And they had mingled their blood with the the regular sacrifices, just not only killing them, but scoffing. And so people come up to Jesus and says, why would good, this is the question. Jesus gets basically, why would a good God allow this? Listen to what he says. There were some present at the very time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Verse 2 And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they had suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all of the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent... You will all likewise perish. (laughs) Jesus holding the lamb, right? What is he saying? That none of us deserve anything from God other than what we haven't got up to this point, which is the wrath of God. That all of our life, even our broken places, are mercy, mercy, mercy. God exercising His patience, not giving us what we do deserve, and giving us an opportunity so that we may repent. And if He dropped the roof down on us today, He's done us no wrong. If me and you die tomorrow of some kind of dreaded disease, He's not done us any wrong. Our life has been characterized by mercy, 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 giving all people an opportunity to repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ. In the midst of our deadness, Ephesians 2, mercy shows up. So that's our answer. That person asking that question does not understand that they have departed God's design and every broken thing in this world and in their life is something that came from people's sin. And it is a wonder why we haven't all been judged. I always ask myself the question when someone says, why didn't God stop this thing? And I'm sitting there going, why didn't God bring his wrath down on you the first time you sinned? I mean, when would we have died? None of us would have made it to teenage years. Definitely not to adulthood. Mercy, giving us an opportunity to repent. Isaiah 45, 22 says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, there is no other. And so, 
That's the message today. As we see our three circles behind us now, let's, if you can, in the back, let's fill in the blanks here again that we are broken. We have left God's design. And it has caused all kinds of problems, relational problems, addiction problems, depression, discouragement, guilt, and shame. And we see these squiggly lines that go out of brokenness. That's us trying to fix it on our own. We medicate it away, drink it away, strive to put people in our life because we think they will get it away. We have children thinking they will bring it away. We do anything to alleviate the pain. We only get more and more broken. But what we have learned today is that brokenness is a good thing because it gives us the opportunity to see that there is hope outside of ourselves, that we cannot fix ourselves and that we don't have to. This change that we all know we need to make, the Bible calls repentance. The question is, who are you going to turn to? repentance and so we want people to understand that God loved us so much that he sent his perfect son who lived a life perfectly that we couldn't live died a death that we deserve to die and rose again to prove everything that he says and everything that he believes is true God came to not only forgive us but to restore our relationship to God puts his spirit within us and gives us the ability to begin down this road we call sanctification or that our, our, our map there shows recovery that ends up in the presence of our God. Fullness of healing and wholeness. But God sends us as those that are in the midst of recovery back out into the world to share the gospel with people question this morning is will you embrace that? Will you embrace God's gift out of your brokenness? I mean, aren't you tired of carrying it? Whatever the it is, your it might look different than my it or the person that you're talking to. But the point is that you don't have to live in shame and guilt. Christ died not only to forgive our sins, but to remove the shame and the guilt that sin brings. Isaiah 54 verse 4 says, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. And so, the next question is this. Will we choose to help other people out of their brokenness? It's what God's put us here for. We need only to go back to Genesis and look at verse 21 and see God's desire to cover and that to cover them took a sacrifice. Something had to die. But he did it. And so, as I thought about this, I reminded the Lord's loving words to an apathetic church in Revelation 3. We often read this as, as a message out to the world. This is a message to the church. 
In Revelation 3 and verse 18, listen to what it says. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Also I have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We have healing to be done in our own life, and we have a message of healing of gospel healing to take to our neighbors and our communities and the nations. And so what we are going to do now, church, is we're going to celebrate the gospel together. Pastor Micah has picked music, perfect music, to, to bring all of this together. And so I want us with free and thankful hearts to celebrate the one who has done everything needed to bring us to wholeness. The one thing that amazes me as I look at all of redemptive history is that God's people, when they realized that God made a way for their sins to be atoned for, for their sins to be forgiven, never to be remembered, never to be brought up again, Again, what they did next was they brought sacrifices of praise, of thanksgiving. They brought them to commit themselves anew and afresh to this God that would provide a way for them to be close to Him to forgive their sins and to cleanse them from their unrighteousness. And so, this is our opportunity to do the same. For our Lord has been slain, and he cannot be slain again. And so we come to the tables, not to put him back on the cross, but to remember to pull in close to our Jesus and to thank him for the great gifts that he has done. Let's pray. So, Lord, we come to this now, this precious time of worship in our life such a privilege for the church. All through the ages, this God's people gathered together. And music has always been a part of how we bring our worship to you, how we articulate how much we love you and how grateful we are that we do not have to work for our salvation, that the work has been done and we have entered into your finished work of your son by faith. And now we rest in sovereign grace because of the great things that you have done for us. And so God, as we bring our offerings, as we come to the table, we're doing this saying we give you our lives afresh and anew to use as you see fit. And we pray that you will embolden us like in the days of Acts where we would be shaken 
the power of God, to go out in boldness and bring the gospel to bear to those that God has already placed in our life and who will place in our life this week precisely because we have been equipped. And so now, Lord, may we, may we rejoice in you. May we enjoy you. It's just a glimpse of what it will be like on that day. You be worshipped, God, because we love you. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.